everyone. We wanted to tell you about a new show we are loving, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. It's a show about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds you. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? Is Paw Patrol copaganda or is it not that deep? And what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter, the Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. There is an argument to be made for... Pride and Prejudice as a prequel to Saltburn. 150 <laughs> years later, some other stuff happens. Wah, okay. wah. Text me back. Text me back. Text me back at once. Why won't you text me back? Text me. Text me back. Text me back, back. Megan. This is Text Me Back, a podcast about best friends, the best animals, and the worst people. I'm Megan Hatcher Mace. And I'm Lindy West. Vroom! Let's get this party started quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is not an episode about basketball in the 1990s although although basketball in the 1990s had a lot of great rivalries sour feelings mm-hmm. drama fisticuffs you know malice at the palace people were getting their ears bitten off but for some reason we're not talking about any of that so i don't know why we're foreshadowing that we are <laughs> however we will be talking about duels fighting and feuds uh this is our versus episode where we will be pitting beloved things against other beloved things from the cinema to the ocean. Various feuds. (laughs) By the way, we won't be resolving any of these conflicts. No, we're going to stay and sit in a place of hate. That's right. We're going to devolve this conflict into some of the worst hatred you've ever seen. All right, here we go with our first segment Top three congressional duels. Lindy and I have brought for you three of our respective favorite duels, our favorite three times that Congress devolved into violence. Before I launch into my first one, obviously the most famous, I guess, duel is probably Alexander Hamilton getting murked by Aaron Burr, but there's a whole deeply cringy musical that you can watch and enjoy about that. So we are going to move past that duel to some lesser known hipster duels that you may not have heard of. I'm going to start off with my first one, the caning of Charles Sumner in 1856. You probably guessed from the year that this duel was about slavery. Um, And our boy, Charles Sumner, uh, he was on the right side of history. He was anti-slavery. And he was giving this speech on the Senate floor in the chamber opposing Kansas's entry to the Union as a slave state. And in this speech, he absolutely roasted the pro-slavery senators. He said one of them took on a mistress who, though ugly to others, is always lovely to him, though polluted in the sight of the world, is chaste in his sight. I mean, the harlot, slavery. And of course, the pro-slavery guys who heard this are like, oh, my honor will not be so impugned. So they sent their heavy, this guy, uh, Representative Preston Brooks of South Carolina, 
who was like, nah, this will not stand. So he walks onto the Senate floor after, you know, the Senate had adjourned. Brooks walks onto the Senate floor, pulls out a cane, and absolutely beats the ever-loving shit out of Charles Sumner with his cane that, by the way, Senate.gov has described as a, quote, white cane of the type used to discipline dogs. <laughs> we don't stand Brooks. We do stand uh, Sumner. It's really too bad. You hate to see a uh, an abolitionist go down like that. But uh, I guess in happier news, Preston Brooks uh, resigned from Congress, immediately got reelected because of that, because he had caned Charles Sumner, because all of the pro-slavery, his pro-slavery constituents were like, that ruled. We loved that. And then he died at the very old age of 37 years old. So, and then he became a ghost and he haunted the he haunted the Senate building? I don't understand what that has to do with ghosts. It doesn't have anything to do with ghosts. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Aren't we doing top 3 ghouls? Dude, top 3 duels. Top like congressional three duels. Congressional ghouls? Duels. Ghouls. Duels. Two hours later what <laughs> what are you talking about i thought we were each bringing in our top three ghouls you know like well lindy why would it be ghouls no i you're right it is i brought in my duels it's du- I, it's duels i was just kidding oh my god i brought in top three duels <laughs> i don't okay all right my let's, first duel let's... is the grunch oh my god <laughs> Of Louisiana versus the people that wander into his swamp and think that they see an injured goat asking for help. Oh my god. <laughs> the Grunch is a inbred swamp monster that's lived in the bayou for too long. Yeah. And so if you find yourself on Grunch Road, says <laughs> business insider. <laughs> Do not get out of the car because that's when the duel begins with the grunch who is merely tricking them so that it can drink their blood. Much like in Congress when they when the senators debate an issue. That certainly that's certainly a duel. Thank you. What's your what's your next duel? My next duel uh, is more recent than the caning of Charles Sumner. Although one thing about the Sumner one is, I guess, you know, historians point back to that moment and say like, oh, that was, you know, kind of a harbinger that the nation was coming towards this big collapse, which was the Civil War. And now it's kind of like all happening again. And I think we're also desensitized to how bad Congress is that we're like, I don't know. I don't know. So actually, actually, I have two more duels and they both happened on the same day, (laughs) which was November 14th, 2023. And the first was McCarthy versus Burchette, which is when Representative Tim Burchette of Tennessee was giving an interview to NPR. All of a sudden he says, Why'd you elbow me in the back, Kevin? So Tim Burchette goes running after McCarthy and is like, Hey, man. Hey, Kevin, you got any guts? And McCarthy goes, what? Who are you? I don't know. I'm like, what are you talking about? <gasps> I, don't, I've never- I don't know her. He said, I don't know her. And he was like, what are you talking about? And Burchette later gave this interview that was like, he punched me. It. He gave me a clean shot to the kidney. That Those are his words. Those are Tim Burchette's words, not mine, that McCarthy 
punched him straight in the kidney and then tried to act like he one didn't know who Tim Burchett was and two that had never happened. The next day, McCarthy gives an interview to the press being like, "I I don't know what he's talking about." And then this man has the audacity to say, "If I'd punched him in the kidney, Hang on. What, why would I punch somebody? Why, why but, would I kidney punch somebody? But like that, the, and if, he, if you did, if I kidney punch him, he'd be on the ground. So, hilariously big words from America's most bonkers turkey man who ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no chance Kevin McCarthy knows how to fight. He has a security detail which protected him from consequences for the kidney punch. It was all very ridiculous. Then a month later, Kevin McCarthy retired in disgrace and was like, I'm leaving Congress completely. And he hasn't been heard from since. Mm. Rest easy, Kevin. By the way, don't feel bad for Tim Burchette. Uh, As I mentioned, he's a representative from Tennessee. And after a deadly school shooting in Nashville, he gave an interview to the press saying, we are never going to fix gun violence. So cool. If somebody does want to punch him in the kidney, that might be a motive. I love that kind of pledge from a yeah. <laughs> from a leader. Yeah, from a person with the power to do it. Lindy, your next duel? My next <laughs> duel is Mr. Chu. C H E W versus <laughs> people that made fun of him in Delaware. Mr. Chu, see it is it is Political, a political mm-hmm. duel. Mr. Chu was the chief justice of the Delaware Supreme Court in the in the in the 1700s. Oh, but you know what, Megan? He didn't get no respect. Oh my and god! He was just trying to be a good ju- judge, and he. But people would make fun of him when he walked by by pretending to sneeze. Because his name was Mr. Chu, and they would say Ah Chu, and he was humiliated. I guess there was nothing going on that would have distracted him from such a humiliation. So yeah, that was his probably top priority in life. So he was absolutely humiliated. He never recovered emotionally, and eventually he died. Oh. And uh, it, in life, he did not get revenge, but in death, ooh, oh boy, did Mr. Chu take his sweet revenge. By sitting outside the courthouse under a poplar tree and tugging on men's coattails and, according to Business Insider, giving women a cold, icy feeling. Which I'm going to guess he also did while he was alive. (laughs) And that's his ghost power now that he's dead. Yes. So... I'm sorry, is Business Insider our nation's leading ghoul news source? (laughs) Is that duel? What's going on here? Duels. Right. I'm so sorry. Yes. Duels. Duels. I'm sorry, the best that Mr. Chu could come up with was tugging at gentlemen's coattails. What does he do now that men don't wear coattails? We don't know. He's probably even more frustrated. Yeah. All right. This is a doozy. My final duel happened the same day as the kidney punch. Uh, and it was between Mark Wayne Mullen, United States Senator from Oklahoma, and Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters. <laughs> um, Mark Wayne Mullen has longstanding beef with uh, the Teamsters because he believes that the Teamsters, and how dare they, tried to unionize Mark Wayne Mullen's plumbing business that he owned before he went to Congress. And that should be illegal. Can't we all agree? 
Also, I should say, perhaps it goes without saying, Mark Wayne Mullen is a Republican. So Mark Wayne Mullen and Sean O'Brien had been kind of beefing on Twitter before there was this hearing in the Senate about how union membership benefits working families. So Sean O'Brien was invited to testify at this hearing. Mark Wayne Mullen is on the committee that was holding the hearing. And the committee that was holding the hearing is chaired by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. So those are all the characters, the cast. Is in place. So Mark Wayne Mullen starts going after Sean O'Brien, head of the Teamsters. He starts off, Mark Wayne Mullen starts off by reading mean tweets where Sean O'Brien called him a moron and full of shit. So one of the greatest <laughs> cell phones of all time, Mark Wayne Mullen is reading mean tweets about himself into the congressional record. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quick the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me anytime, any place, cowboy, basically saying, I'll fight you, whatever. And so Mark Wayne Mullen goes, this is the place. This hearing room is the place. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Like, let's go. And then he says, and Mark Wayne Mullen says, well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. And the use of butt yeah. in that, that's how you know Mark Wayne meant business. He busted out, he busted out a cuss. Get those two beautiful cheeks up out of that chair and spin around for me, baby. You stand that steam ham up because we're about to fight. And so anyway, so Mark Wayne Mullen's about to like take off his rings. And Sean O'Brien is like, okay, let's go. So Sean O'Brien gets up and <laughs> poor Bertie Sanders <laughs> is like, oh, hold on. Oh, oh, stop it. Waving the gavel, just going, you're a United States senator. You're, no, you're a United, you're States, United States, States senator. States senator. Okay, okay. Sit down, please. <laughs> he basically is like, America already hates Congress. You guys are not helping at all. <laughs> it was so bananas. And then just the fact that it happened on the same day as the kidney punch, it was like, <sighs> what on earth is going on? So on the one hand, while I abhor violence, I would love to see just a bare knuckle brawl between Mark Wayne Mullen and Sean O'Brien. And I think it goes without saying uh, who I think would win in such a battle. The answer is obviously Sean O'Brien. Like Teamsters, Teamsters is kind of the whole sentence. But it's just they carry a, a power among them that a boss would never understand. Mark Wayne Mullen doesn't stand a chance against Sean O'Brien. Not that I'm condoning violence, but that was an excellent dual day. Lindy, your final ghoul duel. Gadool. Duel. My final duel is Lindy West versus Bloody Mary. Let's go. I don't believe in um, pretty much anything supernatural. However, I, I, like, I don't believe in ghosts, but I am afraid of ghosts. And no ghost is more afraid <laughs> to me than Bloody Mary. The dead lady that lives in the mirror. And if you are in the bathroom in the dark and you look in the mirror and then you even think you're done about Bloody Mary. Yeah, you're done. She comes out of the mirror and she, I don't know, gives you a little kiss, but it's the kiss of death. But like ghosts can't kill people. Name one person that's been killed by a ghost. Like cosmically, how is that even fair? I don't know anyone that's been killed by a ghost, (laughs) you know? That's a great point. Uh, maybe it's like if a ghost kills you, you become the ghost and they take over your body and that's how they come back to life. Maybe I 
and Bloody Mary. Oh my God. Best friends, Megan Hatcher Mays and comedian Bloody Mary. Uh, it's like, basically you go into the bathroom, you turn out the light, mm-hmm. you look in the mirror and then you, I think you have to say your name three times, which I always do in my head. Once I start to think, don't say Bloody Mary's name three times, my brain <laughs> does it. Yeah. And yeah, so I am in my forties. I'm still afraid of Bloody Mary. <laughs> I avoid looking in the mirror at night because first of all what's a mirror and how does it work how is she in it she's in every mirror (laughs) what the logistics make no sense they make no sense but i'm gonna just like you know better safe than sorry it like uh i don't need to be tempting bloody night does it work if you just think it or do you have to say her name out loud this is what i'm saying i don't know i don't know the rules no one's told me yeah the rules you know, the official rules. Like I, the tradition states <laughs> that you have to say it out loud and that you kind of have to like want it. I feel like, you know, you have to be bought in a little bit. Yeah. I feel like it's not like Beetlejuice where you can get tricked. I feel yeah. like you have to like be sort of reaching out to her, you know, spiritually with your heart. Mm-hmm. But I think that I am because I'm fixated and like I, you know, I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm in danger of, um, yeah. Summoning. I I might sign up for her MLM. Bloody Mary's specially patterned petticoats. Yeah. They're buttery soft. (laughs) 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 When did everything start having to be buttery soft? I don't Um, know. That's my number one top scariest congressional duel because She's for certain also haunting the mirrors in the bathrooms of Congress. Absolutely. Coming up after the break, we settle one of the nation's oldest debates that has been tearing families asunder since the 19th century. Which is better, the BBC Pride and Prejudice miniseries or the 2005 feature film Pride and Prejudice? Stay tuned. Our show is called Text Me Back, so we want to invite you to our group chat. Do you have any questions for us about your own friendship dilemmas? Maybe friendships with ghosts Ooh. or just some personal tidings of your own? No song needed, but encouraged. Very encouraged. We want to include your questions and tidings on the show. So text us to join the Text Me Back text club. Text BFF to 206 926 9955. That's 206 926 9955. And even if we can't text you back every time, we pinky promise to read all of your texts and think about how to include them in the show. This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give, and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks! Megan, it's time to go back, all the way back, to something (laughs) that we teased in episode one? Or two of this show? Yeah, it was many years ago. Many years ago. We talked about someday analyzing pros and cons of each famous 
Pride and Prejudice adaptation. The 1995 BBC miniseries starring Colin Firth mm-hmm. and the 2005 feature film starring Kira Knightley. And today we're going to do it because it's Versus Day. It's Versus Day! And I have to say that I, in full transparency, was a little bit against doing this segment because all Pride and Prejudices are my baby. Yeah. And mm-hmm. while the BBC miniseries is my number one baby that I love the most, more than my <laughs> other babies, the, the film is great stuff, especially yeah. if you want just like a hot, quick injection of, of P&P. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking that we could go through a great way to compare and contrast is mm-hmm. if we went through character by character and we talked about who we thought did it better. I think that's great. I think there's a generational divide between like which one uh, people like more. I think younger people tend to like the 2005 one more and millennials, older people tend to like the miniseries more because it's usually just comes down to whichever one you saw first. But I do believe that the shadowy cabal oh. that is working overtime to drive a wedge between us has chosen the various pride and prejudices that's genius as a wedge issue <gasps> so something to think about as you're getting into online dust-ups about which one is better it'll be okay that's why today in the versus episode we aren't going to declare a winner no. we're going to ce- celebrate both <laughs> that's correct because we're going to he- we're going to heal this country lindy why don't you kick us off because people might not know you have a ba in uh wan and distressed patrician british people i sure do (laughs) i'm a doctor of pride and prejudice i no um but i have uh i have read the novel and i have watched the bbc miniseries I would say 10,000 times a year. I remember you had it on VHS back when I think like the only way you could get it is if you donated enough money to PBS or something. <laughs> sure did. Sure did. So your love is like legit. Very legit. I believe, I believe it was <laughs> six tapes. Oh, I popped them in and out all day long. Okay, so so like this is hard for me because, uh, you know, I wanted to be territorial and dislike the... Mm-hmm. the Kira Knightley film, but it's just doing a different thing. You yeah, know? totally. Like it's doing more of like an erotic sort of micro chemistry, sexy mm-hmm. vibe. Uh, whereas the BBC one is a lot more expansive. Obviously it's three times longer. Yeah. It's sort of a little more prim and proper. Yeah. Well, it's like th- it's three times longer. That means three times more knowing glances Three times mm-hmm. more like psychological chess with, you know, members of the opposite sex. Whereas yes. the 2005 version is like, is a little bit more bing, bang, bong, pride and prejudice. Something that you pointed out to me is that the, there's a clear winner in terms of who has the most tiny bolero jackets. Yes. That which is, is the 1995 miniseries <laughs> from BBC. So many tiny little jackets cut right off underneath the heaving bosom of the Bennett sisters, <laughs> the 2005 movie, Zero Bolero Jackets. Something to think about. If you're a historic costumery expert, could you text us and let us know whether the, t- the tiny Bolero Jackets were period or not? Because <laughs> I want to know. So let's just start this out by going character by character. We mm-hmm. got to start with the, the, the girl of the hour yeah. herself. The goat, <laughs> um, Lizzie Bennett, Miss yeah. Elizabeth Bennett. So we got Kira Knightley in the film. We got Jennifer. Uh oh, is it is it Ella? Eel. I guess canonically for this podcast, it will be Ely or 
Let's never say it again. <laughs> Jennifer versus Kira. Yep. For Lizzie Bennett supremacy. I gotta go. I'm sorry. I gotta go, Jennifer. Yeah, you know, it's it's tough because I actually think that Kira Knightley brings like a, a lot of like pensive wanting to the, the yeah. role. And she's beautiful. And she reads younger. She reads younger, you know, like, because I think the character's supposed to be like 17. Yeah. <laughs> thing, so it's Maybe like. Maybe 20. Yeah. Yeah. However, old Jennifer is just doing this thing. It's like she's constantly doing like sexy chess in her mind with Mr. Darcy. She really brings like and, and but also she's she's given more space and time to do that. So that's one difference. She's definitely on the heaving bosom scale, heaving bigger, more yep. stronger. Mm-hmm. She definitely wins the heaving bosom award for the various Bennett sisters. Her hair is worse. For sure. No offense. <laughs> For sure. Although I got to say the bangs on Kira are not great. <laughs> they look like my bangs when I refuse to take a shower. It's a very greasy bang situation going on in 2005. I am going to give the edge to Jennifer just because I think while I think Kira Knightley is fantastic and I have absolutely no beef with, beef with her at all, I feel like Jennifer just brings a certain like intensity to it that really makes the character come alive. Yeah, it's subtler. You know, like yeah. I feel like the Kira... Lizzie is a little stressful. She's very mm-hmm. intense. She's kind of mean. She's very mean to Charlotte Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's totally fine. It's just a different way to play the character. Um, and, you know, Jennifer just has my heart, I think, because that that was my first Pride and Prejudice. And, like, also, do you think it's, like, a sort of backhanded, evil, sneaky little shade to Kira that they don't? once talk about her fine eyes yeah there's like none of that part where they even hint that mr darcy likes her at all not with those peepers (laughs) not with those mud puddles i don't think so uh so our number one elizabeth bennett is jennifer okay now on to jane jane bennett now oh this is a toughie as well this is not a toughie for me. Oh, and I was, surpri- I was surprised by my answer because I thought I was going to be BBC all the way down, mm-hmm. but I got to go with the film. Rosamund Pike. Yeah. I agree angel. with you. I agree with you. She's beautiful. Notably, her hair is normal. The, the, the hair of the BBC Jane Bennett is so bad. <laughs> it, it It's among the worst... <sighs> ever committed to film yeah if you haven't seen it she has sort of a middle part comes down very severely and then she has two hot dog ringlets one on each side of the face it's not good it's something is what it is it's probably very accurate and i hate it uh i i feel like the bbc jane is a little bit too too much of an apologist whereas i think rosamund pike at least brings a little bit of skepticism to her jane like i feel like the yeah. bbc jane is like oh well i'm sure he meant well no he didn't Mm-mm. and she just thinks everyone is great and sure and that's the, that's the character that's the character yeah. as jane austen wrote her but also i think that rosamund brings a little bit more like mm, to it yeah. which i which i like okay also i i gotta say both of these actresses are extremely beautiful yes every person that you see on tv is beautiful one yes. time i saw matthew perry on the street in la in the year 2002 and i was like that's the hottest man i've ever seen in my life so even people that you think that they're just a regular looking person no they're hot as hell so no shade <laughs> to either but 
Rosamond brings some believability to the thing where everyone in Pride and Prejudice is constantly like, Jane Bennett is the hottest bitch in all of Hertfordshire. Unfortunately, you got to speak on it because they're like, Jane is a stunning babe from heaven. And then you see Jane and you're like, that's just some lady who is really pretty. Yeah. But come on, relax, calm down. You know, also that happens in the two, a version of that happens in the 2005 one where Mrs. Bennett is like, oh, Lizzie's so plain. She won't admit it. She's so plain. I'm like, ma'am, that's Kira Knightley. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Unanimously, it goes to Rosamond. Um, Mr. Mr. Bingley. Mr. Bingley. Uh, you know what? I'm a, let me start this off by saying impossible impossible. Yeah. I, it, for me, yeah. it's a draw. And actually, what I loved about this rewatch for me is that I discovered that I freaking love Mr. Bingley. He's my favorite of everybody. He's my favorite character. Yeah. He's like the founding yeah. father of Golden Retriever energy. I'm obsessed <laughs> with him. I mean, he's a yes, good boy. He, yeah, he's a very good boy. Yes, he is very suggestible. Like, it's really easy sure. to just be like, oh, she doesn't even like you. And he's like, oh, I guess I'll go back to <gasps> London and shame. <laughs> Alone. Um, so I ended up falling in love with both Mr. Bingley's. I I, I do want to say that I think uh, Crispin Bonham Carter, Helena Bonham Carter's cousin, who plays Mr. Bingley in the 1995 miniseries, his face is just so funny. So maybe like a slight edge to him because his face is always just like, <laughs> you know, like he's just so totally. cute and like innocent in it. But they're but both of them bring that like really innocent and very funny puppy energy to that role. So for me, it's a draw. I feel like that Mr. Bingley really plays up the awkwardness in a way that is a different, slightly different take yeah, that I yeah. liked. Um, like he is so nervous. and But also he kind of reads like a little boy. That guy runs a household. I, okay. If, if you but, say so. He's only 12. Uh, but he's he is so cute. Okay. Uh, I feel I like that as a draw. Um, okay. Here's a big one. Mr. Darcy. For me, there's only one. I mean, listen, I think this is really where the fight, the, the online fight between the two versions really roots itself. Who's the superior Mr. Darcy? Before I give my answer, which should be obvious because we have the same haircut, <laughs> I just want to say that I hadn't remembered Matthew McFadden's version of Mr. Darcy being as good as it was. Cause I think I was like a real miniseries loyalist the first time I watched this movie, but he's so good and he's really handsome in it. He's very smoldering. He stalks about angrily, just like you like. He's a little bit scary, which, which I kind of like, you know, especially at first he's very severe and kind of scary. Um, but he does have like a soft handsomeness to him that um, really caught me by surprise. So I was like, oh, I totally, totally get why people who watch this version first or people who are younger, who who this version resonates more for them. I totally get it because he he's a special guy. I get it too. It's really yeah. good. Although I, I do want to say, unfortunately, I'm so sorry to do this to the people of the podcast. But um, as I was doing my rewatch, my dear husband, Ahame Fale, walked through the room and he looked, he looked at Matthew McFaddy and he said, that guy looks like Peyton Manning. <laughs> Sorry. But what if Pey- what if Peyton Manning touched your hand and then he flexed his hand? Would you change your mind? No. Mm, okay. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, Firth, Firth is my... It's Firth. It's Firth yeah. is my Darcy. Yeah. The thing that you get in six hours versus two hours is like the extent of this man's social anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he really sells it. I really believe it. And then when he turns into a soft boy at the end, it's like really earned. 
Yeah. You know what I love? So the iconic scene in the 2005 movie is the hand flex. Ooh, yep. Love it. But the iconic yep. scene, obviously, in the miniseries is Firth's Darcy jumping into the Giardia water. <laughs> he dives headfirst into a pond after like a long, sweaty ride on his steed jumps into the pond yeah. and then he bumps into elizabeth and she's just so like oh my god his shirt is wet and i ran into him at pemberley oh my god and she and it's like it's game over for her like she's never seen a man's nipple not a one time <laughs> you know? in her whole life she's probably like never even seen her own nipple like when were mirrors invented you know a lot safer back then no bloody mary um and then of course in 2005 i'm like watching watching thinking like oh are they gonna try to recreate the pond thing and they don't and at first i was like oh but then you and I actually you and I texted about it. I'm glad they didn't. That that's mm-hmm. its own thing. Yeah. And and Matthew McFadden gets the hand flex and he gets a sexy walk across a misty field, which is very, very hot. Very hot. And and they make him wet. They do make him they wet. They do make him wet. When mm-hmm. he comes to tell Lizzie that he yeah. loves her in the strange forest pagoda. Yeah. He's like, um, release me from my agony and be my wife, which is, <laughs> I can't think of a more sexy way to be proposed to. <laughs> yeah. I hate your guts, um, but I am horny for you. So trying to let's get, get married. Trying to get involved. What's up? What's good? Speaking Who else we got? Uh, okay. Mr. Collins. Okay. I have such, uh, the BBC Mr. Collins, it, is that an actual type of man that exists? But <laughs> uh, he is unparalleled that no one will ever take him down. But I want to say about the film, Mr. Collins, that I, I didn't remember. Like the film, Mr. Collins is the only time I've ever like felt some kind of sympathy for Mr. Collins because you really feel like the film, Mr. Collins is neurodivergent <laughs> and he's doing his best. You know what I mean? He's not like, a greasy frog. <laughs> yeah. The the miniseries, Mr. Collins, it's giving Peter Pettigrew. It's giving <laughs> Warm Tongue from Lord of the Rings. It's, it's, gr- it's Grima coated. <laughs> he's, he's creepy, peepy, weirdo, uh, has some sort of weird, lusty obsession with Lady Catherine de Bourgh. <laughs> Whereas the movie guy is just sort of like, this is the best I could do. I'm going to try to milk it, which in a yeah. way that you can kind of understand a little bit better. Uh, even though I, his proposal was a lot creepier and weirder in the movie, I think, than it was in the in the miniseries to Lizzie. I don't understand why he doesn't want to marry Mary Bennett. Why speaking not? of speaking of top ghouls, the book and both movies, it's everyone's just like, oh, the lovely Bennett girls and Mary. Oh good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that old deja vu slogan that was like hundreds of beautiful girls and three ugly ones. It's like four beautiful Bennett sisters and Mary. Hundreds of beautiful girls and three ugly ones and Mary. <laughs> it was even worse. <laughs> I know. I know. There you do get the feeling that you do get the feeling that if Someone suggested that they release Mary into the woods and then hunt and kill her. People would be like, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> like, people, like, and Mary's just trying to read the Bible and learn the pianoforte. I know. She, she's such a drag, though. In real life, the the actress <laughs> who played Mary used to be married to Elon Musk. So that's one major knock against the film. While we don't blame women for the misdeeds of men, I will also say that the same actress, Tallulah Riley, texted Elon Musk and said he should buy Twitter and destroy wokeism. So is that blaming her for the misdeeds of men? Or is that blaming nope. her for personally being a freak it's the latter so, so i'm just saying she, she will never play the piano forte in my presence absolutely no thank you not and let's wrap this up obviously the miniseries mr bennett is better than donald sutherland who i love but he's kind of creepy uh, i think the most important character in 
the entire um, world of Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy's friend, Colonel Fitzwilliam, in the BBC one, he's hot as hell. And in the film, he's regular. So He's um, regular. And we're against that on this podcast. Yep. Also, why is his name Colonel Fitzwilliam and Darcy's name is Fitzwilliam Darcy? I don't like it. Oh, and Lady Catherine. I've got to go BBC again, even though Judy Dench is so scary. <laughs> Lady Catherine de Bourgh, I agree with you, but Judy Dench, oh boy, she's spooky in that in that movie. Whereas yeah, I feel like you, everyone, I feel like all the actors in the miniseries are just very floppy and dramatic, yeah. which I love. I do love it. Uh, right. But Judy Dench ate down. She was like, I'm here to destroy everybody on set. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the BBC one is like a cartoon. She's a Muppet. And then Judy Dench, I really believe that she's going to ruin my life. And I think Judy Dench <laughs> thought it was a documentary. <laughs> she, she thought that was really happening. So again, we will not be choosing a winner. They're both excellent. Um, although I will say this podcast has come out in favor of cozy watching, which means putting something on for six to 12 hours and not moving at all. And the BBC miniseries gives you that opportunity. Um, the movie, not so much unless you watch it three times, which I, mm. am, I am for. I, I yeah. support it. Um, but they're both excellent. Both excellent Mr. Darcy's, both excellent Lizzie's, both yeah. phenomenal Bingley's, in my opinion. <laughs> 20 out of 10. Break! Coming up, there can be only one top beast of the sea. Who's on top? Orcas or humpbacks? We'll decide. Hey, my name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts. And now we come to one of the greatest, most legendary verse verses of all time. <laughs> a top feud, a controversial feud, a feud of the sea. Yo-ho. <laughs> that only Poseidon can judge, but we're going to try. We're going to try. Megan and I were both born and raised in Seattle, Washington. And when you are born and raised in Seattle, Washington, I, I feel like you're indoctrinated mm -hmm. to love and honor the orca whale. Yeah. There's a school called orca school. Yeah. There's like, I don't know, there's an island called orca yes island there's like an orca that's like the mascot of the bus it's called an orca card oh yeah that's right you're kind of raised to have one a healthy respect for the sea and everything in it and the orca most of all we had to raise salmon from row yeah. in a big yes. fish tank in the hallway like who does yes. that then we had to take the the teenagers who, that have a name there's a name for them fry the fry. fry. Yes. Yes. You remember. I take the fry. You have to like raise them up to like a certain juvenile age. And then you, I guess, set them free. And then like a couple months later, they make you go to the locks and see if you can see them going up 
the salmon ladder. Right. Not that you would ever know that that was one of your salmon sons that you raised in the fifth grade hallway. Yeah, but he he can recognize he can recognize you. He recognized me. He said, "That's my mother." But but just to give people a little bit of a flavor of what it's like to grow up in the Pacific Northwest, it's like the ocean. We did do the raising the salmon eggs at my elementary school, except not everyone got to do it. Only one class got to do it, and that was Mr. Daniels' <gasps> fourth fifth split. He let the students call him Kent instead of Mr. Daniels. <gasps> he handpicked the students for his class. So only only special kids got to be in it. How is that allowed? And they didn't have desks. They sat on couches and beanbags. And they did all kinds of hippie shit, like raising the salmon, and nobody else got to do it. And I'm still mad. Whatever you say, Rudolf Steiner. What a dork. <laughs> I know, but they had the uh, the salmon egg tank in the lobby of the school. So like I would go look at the salmon eggs, but yeah. I was not allowed to touch them and I was not allowed to release them and I was not allowed to raise them as my son. So I'm still a little bit mad, but that is well, the environment in which we grew up. If it makes you feel better, probably all those salmon got eaten by orcas. Yeah, it does make me feel better. Okay, so we're we're raised to have loyalty to the orca, but in recent years... Mm-hmm. Some information has come my way, mm. which is that orcas are dickheads. Yeah. And they're mean. Unfortunately, cancel culture has come for the mighty orca. They slap seals with their tails and launch them out of the water. Yeah. Like a hacky sack. Yep. And then they also play with their corpses. <laughs> and they, it's not nice and but the worst thing that they do is that they will come across a baby gray whale and its mommy and then they will chase them for hundreds of miles until the baby is so tired that it cannot swim and the mommy is too tired to hold it up out of the water so it can breathe and then they will eat it and i don't think that's right i don't think so either and yet we are asked to glorify the orca as opposed to like the gentle humpback who just wants mm -hmm. to slowly swim and sing his sad song. And thus we arrive at the verses. Orcas versus humpbacks. Lindy, what do you have to say about the, the mighty humpback? Well, Megan, I know something about you. We've talked about it before, which is that you love street justice. I love and street justice. <laughs> <laughs> and the humpbacks engage in street justice against the orcas. They patrol the oceans. And when they find Ooh. orcas effing with a sweet baby, they they intervene because <gasps> they are bigger than the orcas and they the orcas can't hurt them. And so they will like protect seals and baby whales from the orcas and they will shut it down and they'll be like, oh no, no, you go back to eating salmon. Oceanic vigilantes. Yes. And I look. To be very clear, I want all whales to thrive and multiply. Like, yes. I'm not saying that I want the orcas to, to, go, to go away and get effed. You're not? I just, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. And like, obviously, we love the sinking of the yachts. I was going to say, so I was going to say, if I can advocate for the devil for just one second, in this case, the yeah. devil is the mighty orca, I will say this. They also have a taste for street justice. Now, they are, as you've laid out, sociopaths. They 
bandy about seal corpses. By the way, they'll separate like a gray whale from its mom, take like one bite and then leave it. It's like you did all that. You did all of that cunning, you know, strategy hunting for a single nibble. To me, that suggests a layer of sociopathy uh, mm-hmm. that you don't see in other sea creatures. Honestly, they're too smart for their own good. They don't have anything to do. And so they're just like engaging in war now. It's very weird. It's like when you leave your border collie home alone and then he eats your couch. Exactly. That's your fault. Just gnaws through your wall. That's <laughs> an orca, basically. So here's the thing. They also engage in street justice. They have been known to sink luxury yachts. They have been known to attack the wealthy. I think they might be unionizing down there. And <laughs> I don't know. They they also want to fight Mark Wayne Mullen <laughs> in a cage match. And I think we should let them. But the flip of that is, the flipper of that is... <laughs> The orcas are not always punching up. Sometimes they punch down and that's what makes them villainous. Whereas the humpback, the gentle humpback is just, I don't know, token up and cruising through Mexico (laughs) and, you know, enjoying life. They're they're eating krill. Yeah. You know, and the krill don't know what's going on. They don't. What's the worst thing a humpback ever did? Ate Pinocchio? He came out the other side even better, I would yeah, say. He learned he a lot. Became there. a human man. I mean, this isn't much of a yeah. versus. It's like, it's obviously humpbacks. Oh, it's just that orcas do have some good. If if they would just direct their energy for good instead of evil, maybe we could forgive. Okay, orcas versus yachts. Orcas. Yes. Humpbacks versus an orca bullying a baby seal. Humpbacks. Humpback. Also, I will add that I went whale watching for the first time this past summer. And boy, did the humpbacks put on a show. They are jumping out of the water. They're spinning around. Mm-hmm. And then the orcas are all business. Yeah. And we the, we saw two orcas and they were brother and sister and they were like, we're busy. Yeah. We're hunting. Yeah. Leave us alone. All yeah. they did was sort of like, you know, they just sort of scooted by. Whereas the humpbacks were doing a whole ballet. They were so cute. Mm -hmm. They were puffing steam in the air out of their blowholes. They were twirling and uh, rolling. They were leaping. Um, And again, all of that said, if an orca looked me in my eye, I would weep. I don't think that they should be put in prison. But I just, I think maybe... Maybe they what they need is just what the humpbacks are providing, which is a little scared straight, you know? Yeah. So to be clear, no one on this podcast is agitating for the reopening of SeaWorld to act as a prison for maladjusted <laughs> orcas. No one's saying that. Least of all I me. Mean, much like real prison, they come out. <laughs> worse. <laughs> worse. I know. They come out with having gotten no rehabilitation. I just think, one, I think orcas need some nonviolent enrichment opportunities, which means yes. put more yachts in the ocean, because I think that's great. It doesn't hurt anybody. Everybody loves it. <laughs> and two, stay away from me. You know how they're, they're always like, they, them. The, those ones, <laughs> the shadowy pro-orca cabal, yep. they're always saying, oh, they've never killed a person in the wild. And I was like, yet? Yeah. Like, why do you, why you, don't tempt fate. It, I would never, you know, it's like every now and then a video will c- show up on the algorithm of like a person who's like, oh, I was in my kayak in British Columbia and I, a s- bunch of baby orca and their mom went under my kayak. I was like, boy, 
better go to church. You're lucky to be alive. They're yeah. crazy. And if they're bored, yeah. they're going to start whacking you through the sky with their tails. Heaven help you. I got, yeah, if, if that was Lindy West is the star of that video, uh, act two would be RIP because my kayak's sinking because it is filled up with my poop with <laughs> from my fear fearful and we're going down. dookies. Um, one last thing, actually, I want to say maybe also to humanize the orca a little bit. <laughs> Not humanize. Well, okay. Is that I just saw a thing on TikTok where someone was like, maybe we should not call them killer whale, but reframe it as eater whale because they're just trying to eat. And I was like, I do, I do relate to that. I'm just trying to eat. Okay, but what is a precondition for them to eat? Well, kill. they have to Killing. kill it. Yeah, they have to Killing. kill it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe what the orcas need in order to modify their behavior is to be haunted by a terrifying ghoul like a humpback gassed in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> the Grunchback. We solved it. <laughs> All right. In a unanimous decision, the win goes to orcas. No, humpbacks. <laughs> Kings of the sea and queens. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as promised, we have solved no conflicts and the feuds continue. Yep. That's the text me back guarantee. You know who we needed to help us solve these feuds? Who? Mr. Chu. Mr. Uh, Chu, Chief Justice of the Delaware Supreme Court. I know. I want to feel icier. Yeah. And more creeped out. Like, we can't settle any of these feuds because we're not judges. I know. We need Mr. Chu. We need Poseidon, Mm -hmm. Lord of the Sea, and we need... Colonel Fitzwilliam. We need King Charles. Is he the one who decides definitively which is the better Bright and Prejudice? <laughs> yes. Yes. We need uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon. Um, so yeah, we, we got nowhere. But we did have some great times, Megan. We had a lot of discussions. We had a lot of laughs. We laughed. We sang. We gooled. We gooled. We dueled. <laughs> it was great. Um, so what are we going to do next week? Great question. We reached out to our text club to ask for their run-ins with the killer, the nameless, faceless, spooky specter who haunts us all. Especially Wendy Williams. And very specifically, talk show host Wendy Williams. And man, did the text club deliver some doozies. So we will be talking about the killer and perhaps we will defeat the killer. I doubt it but we're going to try. You guys scared the pants off me with your stories of the killer. I'm so scared. Uh, and we're also going to indulge in a new segment we're calling Two Minutes Hate, where we hate something for two minutes. That's right. Because we try to keep this show light and positive. Yeah. But sometimes we want to be mean and nasty. So we're going to condense it into a sweet That's little right. pill. We were not content to have a show about feuds. We want to create some new ones. Yeah. So and tune in next week. We're also going to do a third thing that's a surprise. Thank you so much for listening to Text Me Back. If you like the show, please tell your best friend about us and rate and review us because it helps people find the show. Text Me Back is a production of KUOW in Seattle, a proud member of the NPR Network. Our editor is Jeannie Yandel. Our senior producer is Brandy Fullwood. Our mixer is Jason Burrows. Diana Bowen makes our video clips. They are delightful. And I'm not just saying that because we're in them. Go enjoy them on Instagram and TikTok at 
TextMeBackPod. Our production team includes Michaela Giannotti Boyle, Amelia Peacock, Alicia Villa, Hans Twight, Brendan Sweeney, and Marshall Eisen. Our music is by Chief Ahamefale J. Oluo. Special thanks to our perfect angel, Isolde Raftery. I'm Lindy West. And I'm Megan Hatcher Mays. See you next week. My name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts.